BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Tom Harbin here with you, and greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. A lot going on. Congress is in the House of Representatives. They are definitely going to have a vote on a non-binding resolution. That's something that is not law, saying that, you know, the president should not extend his little war with Iran. And then there is the possibility that there will be votes on a specific amendment to the War Powers Act and a specific revision of the authorization to use military force or even a repeal of it. In the meantime, I just saw a tweet from Donald Trump Jr. saying, you know, that the Democrats are all expressing sympathy for Soleimani. I have not seen any Democrat do that. I mean, you know, Jr. is apparently as big a liar as daddy. And... Doug Collins was on Fox, I guess it was Fox Business the other night, last night, saying that Democrats basically love terrorists, which is bizarre. I mean, he literally said Democrats love terrorists, when it's really the Republicans who seem to be benefiting the most from acts of terrorism. Keep in mind, when George W. Bush came into office, he was widely viewed as an illegitimate president put there by the Supreme Court. And his popularity was in the toilet. You know, it just, it was tanked. And you had Richard Clark and others literally coming into his office, well, not literally with their hair on fire, but that was the phrase that Richard Clark used to describe how, how he was uh, presenting himself to the president and the vice president, the national security advisor. And Sandy Berger, who was the national security advisor for the Obama administration, told me on this program that in early January of 2020, when they started the transition process from the Clinton administration to the George W. Bush administration, that he told Condoleezza Rice, the, the new incoming national security advisor, that her biggest challenge was going to be Osama bin Laden. Keep in mind, this was you know nine months before the attacks of, of 9-11. And Sandy Berger also told me on this program that Al Gore told Dick Cheney that his biggest challenge was going to be Osama bin Laden and that President Clinton told incoming President George W. Bush that he needed to keep his eye on Osama bin Laden. So Bush puts Dick Cheney in charge of two task, force, task forces, a counterterrorism task force, 
and an energy task force. Cheney, the, uh, this is in January. The first meeting of the energy task force is in February. And in, and in March, they had a big one where they were dividing up the oil fields of Iraq. Again, this is before 9-11. But the Cheney Task Force on Counterterrorism that was supposed to keep an eye on Osama bin Laden didn't meet until two weeks before 9-11. And 9-11 was like the thing that allowed Dick Cheney to take Halliburton from... Halliburton was on the verge of bankruptcy when he became vice president. And suddenly they were getting billions of dollars in no-bid contracts for a war with Afghanistan and a war with Iraq. I mean, who's, who's loving the terrorists here? They lied us into a war in Iraq that made trillions of dollars for the defense industry, killed hundreds of thousands of people, including thousands of Americans, both civilian contractors and soldiers. I mean, who really seems to love terrorism? Donald Trump and Mike Pence have openly proclaimed a policy of terrorizing refugees by taking their children away and putting them in cages in our southern border. They came right out and said it. You know, this is to discourage people. Right, we're going to scare them. We're going to terrorize them. I mean, Republicans as a whole have been terrorizing working people since 1981 with kicking off the Reagan Revolution, the war on, on the right to unionize, the war on American working people, the war on health care, doubling the Social Security tax. I mean, it's, it's like they're war on older people. Uh, and making Social Security benefits taxable. This was all Reagan. Their war on Social Security. And now Trump is terrorizing America and the world by bringing us right up to the edge of World War III. And now he's fundraising off it. Uh, just like Bush and Cheney lied about the imminent threat of weapons of mass destruction in Iraq in order to increase their power and make their friends rich, it looks to me like Trump is doing the exact same thing. So who are the real terrorizers here? You know, and Doug Collins going off on this, he said, I mean, this is amazing. He said, we see that they mourn Soleimani more than they mourn our gold star families who suffered under Soleimani. That's total BS. So Preet Prahara, you know, the uh, former prosecutor for the New York, uh, the federal prosecutor in New York Southern District, went online and he says, uh, who's running against Doug Collins? I'll max out my contribution to him. Turns out the guy running against Doug Collins is, it looks like he's kind of a sacrifice candidate. His name is Antoine Stevens. It's spelled A-N-T-W-O-N-S-T-E-P-H-E-N-S. He's got an active Twitter site, Stevens for Georgia, and a Facebook site, but I, don't, I can't find a campaign website, although his Twitter account, Antoine Stevens' Twitter account, you can make a contribution directly through his Twitter account. So I sent him 25 bucks this morning. I mean, the guy's going to run against Doug Collins, even if he doesn't have a chance? I think that we need to start, you know, giving some, some love to the people who are challenging these crazed Republicans, even when they're doing it in, in solid red districts. They're not always going to be solid red. Americans are increasingly waking up and saying, wait a minute, this is crazy. And then you look at, at, at what's going on. Trump goes on TV yesterday and says, Iran is standing down. But we're going to increase the sanctions. Right? So, so Trump, Trump 
kills the number two or three guy in the Iraqi, in the Iranian government with a drone strike, and the number one guy for the, for the uh, Shia militias in Iraq who are aligned with the Iraqi government. He kills them both with a drone strike. And the, Iranian the Iraqi response is to say, please leave our country. And the Iranian response is to hit a couple of American bases in a way that doesn't hurt any Americans and to warn us about it in advance. Like, you know, an hour or two in advance of the shots, you know, get your guys in the shelter, because here they come. So Iran was clearly trying to ratchet down tensions and trying to avoid World War III. And then Trump comes out and says, yeah, but we're going to make life even worse for them. Really? After, after you did something stupid and they responded in a very measured way? So now what's happening today, Iran has changed its tune to a small extent. I mean, there are all these militias all around the Middle East that are aligned with Iran. I mean, you know, for example, the, the uh, Hashad al-Shabi, Hashad al-Shabai. S-H-A-A-B-I. I'm not sure exactly how to pronounce it, but Hashad al-Shabai is, is this military network incorporated in Iraq that the Iraqi government recognizes that is an entire Shia, entirely Shia force. It's an off-the-shelf military. It's not, it's not associated with any government, although they have been financially supported by Iran. And Iran and Iraq are now allies. You know, they're both now Shia-majority countries. This was George W. Bush and Dick Cheney's work, basically turning Iraq over to Iran. Thank you very much, says Iran. But now Iran is saying, well, you know, we're not all that sure. And then, to add to that, and I'll get into this, you know, right after the break. We've got this airliner that got shot down. And, you know, there's a growing consensus that there is virtually nothing that could fail on a two-year-old 737-800, a brand new, you know, one of the most common airplanes in the world, the 737 series. There's virtually nothing in normal course of operation, or even abnormal, that could have produced the fireball we saw. The plane was shot down. This is the Tom Hartman Program. So who shot it down and why? So I also wanted to talk about something that I know that Donald Trump doesn't want to talk about. I just watched his little press conference, or it wasn't a real press conference, but his little presser where he was uh, standing there with a bunch of guys in hard hats. And you know, I mean, you know, he's made for TV productions. He's got, keep in mind, he now has Bill Shine, who had to leave Fox News under a sex scandal. He now has Bill Shine, who, who used to run the programming for Roger Ailes at Fox News, is running the White House or at least the press operations at the White House. And so, of course, he's, uh, Trump is producing made-for-TV drama constantly. But one of the things he doesn't want to talk about is the, the 170, I believe it's 179 people who were just killed a few hours after the drone strike in this, in, uh, with the, this Ukrainian International Airlines plane that went down. I mean, this is this is... A, a, a screaming tragedy. These were mostly Canadians and Iranians and, and Ukrainians. There was, you know, was, I, I don't have the numbers directly in front of me, but my recollection is it was 60 to 80 uh, Canadians, 
and something like 40 or so Ukrainians. I'm sorry, Sean. 63 Canadians. Sean knows. <laughs> Thank you, Sean. Um, and uh, this was a Ukraine International Airlines plane. Now, keep in mind, and we shot down 10 miles away from Tehran. It's increasingly looking like it went down because it was shot down by a missile or blown up by a bomb. Uh, you know, a few hours earlier, the Pentagon and the FAA the United States Federal Aviation Administration had issued what's called a PIREP, a notice to pilots, saying that no private aircraft should be flying in Iranian airspace, only military. And the implication of that, of course, is that you'll get shot down if you fly into that airspace by the United States. You get shot down by us. Now, this plane, this Ukrainian jet, I'm a I'm a private pilot. I, you know, I'm not. A, I've never been a commercial pilot, but you know, I. I've had a lot of interactions with air traffic control over the years. And this jet was under what was called positive control, which means that they were continuously talking to the tower, and they had a transponder on, which was being continuously pinged by the tower. So Iran and the Iranian authorities and everybody involved with Iran and the people around Iran, they all knew that a Ukrainian jet was taking off and heading for, for Kiev, what we used to call Kiev. Which, in my mind, now I could be completely wrong about this, but in my mind that says that it's pretty unlikely that it was Iran that shot down that plane. I mean, our military here in the United States has full access to our air traffic control system. If the U.S. military is participating in anything, if they're looking for a, you know, a rogue aircraft or whatever it may be, and you could go back and look at you know, what happened on 9-11 and see how this works, you know, we can muster, we can put fighter jets in the air, bang, like that. In fact, there's still speculation in the, on the, you know, among 9-11 conspiracy theorists, and I don't mean that as a slur, that Flight 93, the plane that went down in Pennsylvania, wasn't taken down by the noble guys on board, but was shot down by a U.S. jet. Uh, Cheney apparently gave the order for it to be shot down, but, you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm willing to go along with the idea that it was, you know, noble people on board who decided that they'd rather all die than, than have their plane hit New York. That's, makes, that's great. But the bottom line is that the military knows what civilian aircraft are doing. So assuming that it operates the same way in Iran, because it just makes sense, the Iranian military, which would have anti-jet missiles, almost certainly knew that this was a commercial aircraft. They wouldn't shoot it down. So who did shoot it down? Well, now there are reports in the press that there were remains of a Russian tow missile on the ground. But I haven't seen a specific picture saying, here's the remains. I don't know if this, you know, who's putting this story out, implying that either Iran or Russia shot this thing down. I mean, is it possible that Trump's military Keep in mind, we were the military that issued the PIREP, the notice to pilots saying, don't fly in this airspace. It was us who issued that, who issued the threat to shoot down non-military planes in, over Iranian airspace. And this Ukrainian plane takes off from Tehran airport and climbs up to around eight or 9,000 feet, and it's 10 miles out, and gets shot out of the sky, apparently. Is it possible that the Trump administration shot this plane down by accident? That they thought it was, you know, another, say, a bombing run coming from Tehran? 
it would make a certain amount of sense. On the other hand, you would think that the U.S. military would be monitoring the tower frequencies, at the very least, if we didn't have the ability to access, you know, and, and I, I would think that we would have the ability to access everything, you know, the, the flight control stuff. Which raises a third possibility that just, you know, some crazy guy with a shoulder-fired missile decided to take down this plane. But who and why? But the fact that the Trump administration doesn't really want to discuss this is raising flags for me. I'm, I'm wondering if it does for you. So, a lot to talk about. 2020, a new year. It's the perfect opportunity to take your business to the next level by hiring the right people. But finding qualified candidates can be challenging. ZipRecruiter.com slash begin makes it easy. ZipRecruiter sends your job to more than 100 of the web's leading job boards. But they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes and finds people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one, spotlighting the top candidates so you never miss a great match. It's so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash begin. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash B-E-G-I-N. ZipRecruiter.com slash begin. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Sam in Canton, North Carolina. Hey, Sam, what's on your mind? I have a question inquiring minds want to know. You might say, now last week, early last week, Trump and Putin spoke, I believe, twice on the telephone. Mm -hmm. And the White House won't tell us what they talked about. Then I think it's, what, Thursday night, Trump assassinated Soleimani. My question is, did Putin tell Trump to assassinate Soleimani? We know after Helsinki that Trump stood on stage and said he does not trust the American intelligence agencies, but that he does trust Vladimir Putin. So I'm looking at one and putting one and one together and coming up with a huge question mark. Yeah. Because it's, Trump does whatever, what any, any dictator in the world that flatters Trump, he'll do anything they tell him to do. Oh, yeah. The president of Turkey called him up and said, get out of Syria. And he got out of Syria. You know, screw the Kurds. Because yeah. Erdogan yeah, hates I'm, the Kurds. I'm, 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 I got to ask the question one more time, and then that'll be it for me. Did Putin tell Trump to assassinate Soleimani? Right. And did Trump do that? And the answer to that will be found if we get the readout of those phone conversations that are right now in the most secure vault in the entire United States. And I think that Congress has has the right to know the answer to those questions. Thanks a lot for the call, Sam. David in Morgantown, North Carolina. Hey, David, what's on your mind? Hey, Tom. Where is President Obama? He's writing a book right now, I believe. I'm not sure well, where. Well, that could be true, but he's being attacked and he's not responding. Same with Hillary Clinton. I mean, this guy, Trump, is blaming them for everything. Of course and, he is. And I'm hearing no response. Well, they're not Can responding because they don't, they don't want to elevate the visibility of Trump's blaming them. If Trump blames them and they don't respond, then everybody goes, oh, yeah, that's what Trump does. He's always complaining. He can't take responsibility for anything. He's always blaming somebody else. But if one of them responds and says, oh, no, I, you know, I wasn't a wimp, or, you know, then game on. Trump wins. I don't believe that. I think people believe Obama. 
much more than Trump. I think that's probable, David. But again, you pick and choose who you're going to fight with. I mean, I, I get people on Twitter all the time who say just absolutely outrageous things about me. If I defend myself, I'm giving them fuel. So I just block them <laughs> you know, it's like, or, or mute them. And I think that that's what Obama and Clinton, uh, President Obama and, and Secretary Clinton have done with Trump is, is basically they've muted him. I get your point. I get your point. I disagree with it, but I get your point. David, thanks for the call. Robbie in Portland, Oregon. Hey, Robbie, thanks for listening to X-Ray FM. What's up? Yeah, I wanted to talk about Iran. Uh, and also last week I brought up Rachel Meadow a lot. I, I actually kind of wanted to apologize. I didn't mean to single her out with the media and do I trust it. And this goes into the media now perpetuating this war. Did you know Anderson Cooper interned with the CIA before he started going to battlefields for journalism? No, doesn't surprise me, but no, I didn't know that. So, But that I doesn't mean that he's bad. I mean, what do you mean? OK, Tom, but there's a conflict of interest if you're looking at the war machine that America is perpetuating and what we're hearing on the airwaves. Operation Mockingbird was the operation that the CIA did in 1950 and basically hired. Our tax dollars were paying CIA paid people to then go get a double job at a network just like Anderson I'm, Cooper. I'm anyway, familiar whether or not with he's that, a bad guy. But that doesn't mean that that's you, what Anderson Cooper did. But, you know, if I mean, you look at what happened... Of evidence, absence you, of evidence is not evidence of absence. But I'll get to my point here. The Jeffrey Sterling, do you know who that guy is? Yeah. Jeffrey Alexander Sterling, a whistleblower who is still arrested. Do you know yeah, what Obama he got arrested went after for? Him. Right, because of Operation Merlin. Do you know what Operation Merlin was? I don't recall. Operation Merlin was what Jeffrey Alexander Sterling let go and uh, let loose uh, to the media and the public primarily because he was tasked, he came across information where he was giving Iran nuclear secrets, nuclear secrets that some people say whenever he got, you know, whenever he got caught and this got blown to light, they were trying to say that these nuclear secrets were flawed and that they were going to be a fatal disaster in Iran whenever they tried to use these nuclear sure. secrets. I don't know if you're aware, but there was actually like a Google satellite image of a, an Iranian nuclear facility that blew up that wasn't reported by Iran. And so some speculating that that was part of that thing. Oh, I didn't get to finish. Dang it. Dang it. I had so much information. You got on. 10 seconds. Robbie. Quick. Oh, man. All right. Well, anyway, what you said was like the elites controlling war and making it war. Uh, the Havara agreement is another part. I, I All I see is Trump's getting a lot of the blame for this Iran thing. But the right. Democrats in the Senate set this up. OK, Robbie, thank you for the call. We'll be back. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. Uh, Richard in Stockett, Montana. Hey, Richard, it says here you're a retired Army colonel and you know something about the rules of war? Yeah, well, we want to go back to the, like some of the origins of our military history, go back to the Revolutionary War. And you remember a movie called The Patriot, the British general said, well, you don't, we don't want you targeting our officers. It's uncivilized. And right. it kind of goes back to the age of the warrior kings, Frederick the Great, that, uh, yeah, just like you said, it's the peasants and the soldiery that engages and kills themselves while the, you know, the princes get ready for the next war. And then in our military culture, I've been the command general staff college. We, you know, we never advocate assassinations, but we do advocate attacking our enemy's headquarters capabilities. So. Capability, though, not the headquarters itself. Well, yeah, well, you know, hit the headquarters, you know, deep, you know, deep missile attack right. against their command and so, control structure. Right, right. I get that. Implies. I, 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 and you think there may be casualties from that. But if, 
if a country were to target somebody at the equivalent of a cabinet level in the United States or senior leadership of Congress, would that be a violation of the rules of war? I, I really don't think so. Huh. So Trump didn't create some new rule of war for the world? Uh, I don't think so. He's acting out of impulsive recklessness. And, you yeah, know, I get that. And, I just don't, and, I don't recall any time that any country has assassinated the number three leader of a foreign country. Although maybe right, I... Well, yeah, we could have gone after Giep a long time ago in Vietnam. So. Yeah. <laughs> if you think about all the clandestine operations, Delta forces and everything else, and and why we don't touch others, you know, it's, and, and it right. goes back to, you know, what's this greater construct, you know. Right. Although we did try to assassinate Castro about 50 times. So, oh, yes. so that maybe blows up my theory. I don't know. Richard, thank mm -hmm. you. Thank you. I appreciate your insights. All I right. And that. I urge all Americans to demand accountability. So. Amen. Yeah. And you can call and your and send, send the Trump boys to war first. You know, I'll go with them then. So <laughs> there you go. And you can and you can call your member of Congress and share that with them at 202-225-3121. Richard, right. and thank you. And there's plenty of podiatrists waiting out there for bone spur assessments. So. There you go. Thank you, Richard. Welcome back, John Harvin here with you. You know, in uh, during World War II, one of the real uh, huge mistakes that Franklin Roosevelt made was interning over 100,000 Japanese Americans, taking away their property, stealing their businesses, putting them in camps. We haven't gone that far yet, but reports are coming in. Gabe Ortiz is writing over at Daily Kos. In the midst of ongoing threats against Iran from impeached President Donald Trump, more than 60 Iranian-American and Iranian travelers. Now, these are American citizens with American passports in many cases. Were reportedly detained at length and interrogated at the U.S.-Canadian border over the weekend. There was a pop concert in Vancouver, Canada, by an Iranian pop group, music group. And a lot of Americans of Iranian ancestry who wanted to hear this and see this traveled up to Vancouver to do so. The Council on American-Islamic Relations, CARE, said that many of those detained and outright blocked from re-entering the U.S. had been there for that Iranian pop concert. They said, the group said, quote, those detained reported that their passports were confiscated and they were questioned about their political views and alliances and allegiances. The group said that one U.S. citizen identified as a medical student named Crystal was detained for more than 10 hours. The vast majority of people being held were American citizens, she said, according to CARE. We kept asking why we were being detained, and we were being asked questions that had nothing to do with our reason for traveling. And I was told, I'm sorry, this is just the wrong time for you guys. Another traveler who had gone to Canada for the holiday break and was also interrogated, quoted, quote, noticed people of other backgrounds getting processed quickly while the people of Iranian descent were left waiting for hours. CARE said a statement, a source at the Customs and Border Patrol, CPB, reported that the Department of Homeland Security has issued a national order to CPB to report and detain anyone with Iranian heritage entering the country who is deemed potentially suspicious or adversarial, regardless of citizenship status. Now, the Customs and Border Patrol spokesperson at the border crossing between Vancouver and, what would that be, Seattle, more or less, Washington State anyway, did not confirm or deny that report. Although a CPB spokesperson later denied it, but federal immigration officials don't exactly get the benefit of the doubt after years and years of lying to us. So, fascinating stuff. Anyhow, Jim in Oakland, California. Hey, Jim, what's on your mind today? 
Hey, Tom, how you doing? Good. I just wanted to say that that's the problem. Because we have a pathological liar and someone that commits crimes in office and as a leader, when they tell you the truth, you don't even know if it's true or not. And all of these other things happen, like being denied passport rights. Because, I mean, you just don't know what to believe. Well, what we do know is that Trump first said that this was to stop an imminent attack. And then when, the, when Congress said, okay, give us the proof, he said, well, it wasn't an imminent attack. The guy just, like, you know, he's always plotting against Americans, and we had a, a chance to there take him go. out. And there so, I mean, he started out with a lie, and he has now admitted right. that it was a lie, or at least the Pentagon apparently has. So the question then is, if this was not something that had to be done to save American lives this minute, but was basically we were simply taking out an enemy of the United States, and there's certainly no shortage of them all over the world, then why this guy and why in this moment? And why inside a third country in Iraq, where now Iraq's parliament has turned against us? In other words, this is a, this is a foreign policy disaster. It has turned Iraq we'll against us. A, Go ahead. I'm sorry, we'll always have a why when there's a liar in charge. Yeah. I think you got it. That's the problem. Okay. Jim, thanks a lot for the call. Dennis in Caldwell, Texas. It says here you disagree with me, Dennis. What, what part of uh, the regime in Iran is now stronger and the people of Iraq don't want us in Iraq anymore? Are you missing? Well, if they don't want us in Iraq, that's Dennis, you need to turn your radio down. Hold on. Thank you. Okay. All right. But I agree with assassinating the general. But it's been a long time coming. They need to go after the Ayatollah Khomeini. But here's the thing, Dennis. When you, when, if you want to take down the Iranian regime, and the Iranian people are suspicious about American and American intent, and American intentions, then I, and Dennis, I got to let you go. I'm sorry, your radio is just bleeding through here. It's distracting me. You know, if our goal was regime change in Iran, the worst way to do it is for us to kill our way into that goal. Because all that does is pisses off all the Iranian people. If some other country wanted to change the regime in the United States, they wanted to replace, for example, Obama or his heir, Hillary Clinton, with Donald Trump, the smart way to do it is to support the American people who love Donald Trump. The stupid way to do it would be to kill Hillary Clinton and claim credit for it. That would be insanely stupid. So, you know, according to, oh, what's his name, who wrote Proof of Conspiracy? Seth Abramson. According to Seth Abramson and this, like, 400-page book he wrote, the Saudis, the Emiratis, and the Russians all wanted to see Donald Trump as president. And so they all funded and financed operations on Facebook in particular that were under the radar by and large to pit Americans against each other, to trash Hillary Clinton, and to elevate Donald Trump. That's how you affect regime change. And it's entirely possible that regime change came about in the United States, that is from a Democratic administration to a Republican administration, from a Democratic Republic form of government to an a semi-autocratic form of government or oligarchic form of government. We now have an, our first oligarch as president. They accomplished that not by killing their way there, but by activating the people. So if we want to change the government of Iran, if that's our official goal, the way to do it is to secretly, and it would have to be secretly, it would have to be so 
so down low that they didn't figure it out until after it happened, just like what happened to us in 2016. It wasn't until after the election of 2016 that the American public found out that foreign governments had been big supporters of Donald Trump. And in fact, in all probability, they're the only reason he's president right now. So that's how you would have to do it. You support the rebels in Iran who are opposed to the regime in a way that can't be tracked back to you, or at least not within the period of time it would take to reestablish a new government that was friendly to the United States. You just don't kill your way into these things. That always backfires. It doesn't work. New Year, another spin around the sun. Really, I used to think New Year, New Me, but really it's like New Year, New Wrinkles, right? With every passing year, we all look older. But now that's all changed thanks to Plexiderm Rapid Reduction Serum. It is magic in a bottle. Plexiderm is a clinically studied serum that visibly eliminates your wrinkles, crow's feet, and under eye bags in minutes. Simply apply this powerful serum to problem areas within minutes. Voila, new younger you. And the best part, no surgery or Botox. It's all natural. I'm blown away by the results. Ring in 2020 with Plexiderm for smooth, younger-looking skin in minutes. And it goes on clear, so nobody even knows you're using it. Leave your under-eye bags and wrinkles behind with Plexiderm. Go to Plexiderm.com and use my code HARTMAN for 50% off plus an additional 10 bucks off. That's right, half off plus an additional $10 off. This offer is also available by calling 1-800-741-7998. Again, that's 1-800-741-7998. Or visit Plexiderm.com today and use the code Hartman, H-A-R-T-M-A-N-N, at checkout. Natasha in Phoenix City, Alabama. Hey, Natasha, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom. I just want to say I listen to your show almost every day, and I just really appreciate your knowledge on so many different topics. Thank um, you. I myself am not very knowledgeable about geopolitics, so I just had a couple questions. The first one I was wondering, you know, is there legally some law or something that states that the president must notify citizens about his reason for the attack? I mean, could there be a security or a safety reason that he could use to keep that from us? Or? According to the War Powers Act... First of all, there's a 1974, as I recall, or it was in the 70s anyway, law that specifically prohibits assassinations. The U.S. government assassinated a foreign leader. Now, there is an exception to that, and, and I'll get to that in a second. According to the War Powers Act, if the president wants to take an aggressive action against another country or an official of another country, you know, like he did in Iran, he has to first notify Congress and essentially get their permission. Now, again, there's an exception to that. And it's the exact same exception that it is to the you may not assassinate people. And that is that if the president perceives an immediate threat to the United States, which cannot be mitigated any other way other than by killing this guy, then he has the authority to do it. And then he has a, a few a few day period. I think it's a five day period within which he has to notify Congress after the fact that he did it and provide them with all the intelligence on which he based his decision so that they can say, yep, you did it right. And then the third part of it is that the authorization to use military force, under which 
virtually every strike has happened since 9-11, including the Obama administration taking out Gaddafi in Libya and all these other things. The authorization to use military force says that the president may go ahead and do these things without congressional approval if he's going after somebody who attacked us on 9-11 or who was involved in attacking us on 9-11. And Mike Pence tweeted out that Iran was involved in 9-11, which is complete BS. So that's that. Did I answer your question, Natasha? For that one. And then my second one, and I'll just leave you to answer that after. Is there even a way to de-escalate our tensions and prevent it? Yes. Legislation has been introduced into both the House and the Senate for a new War Powers Act. You know, a modern updated version of the War Powers Act, because the old one didn't envision a sociopath or a psychopath as a president that would update that, that would strengthen congressional authority, and that would essentially rewrite the 2001 or 2002 authorization to use military force against al-Qaeda that has been, you know, stretched to the point of unrecognizability by pretty much every president, you know, Bush, Obama, and now Trump, and tighten this stuff up. And that legislation is really worth calling your member of Congress and saying that you support. And the phone number for the congressional switchboard is 202-225-3121 or 224-3121. Either one will get you there. Okay, Natasha? Thank you. Thank you for taking my call. My pleasure. Great talking with you. Thanks for great questions. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archive. Craziness, what's going on here. Patrick in Long Island, New York, watching us on Free Speech TV. Hey, Patrick, what's up? Hey, how you doing, Tom? How are your holidays? Thank you. Back at you. Good. Listen, I see some correlations. First thing I want to say is I believe I saw Elizabeth Warren on MSNBC on Sunday, and she brought up the coincidence of the timing of this, you know, the old right. rag the dog type thing. Yep. And the, the interviewer, who I don't remember, just sat there in stunned silence looking at her like he didn't know what to say, yeah. you know. And I heard you quote a few articles, and one thing I will give Fox News is their ability to repeat and pound and pound the same message to death. And I feel that the coincidences need to be mentioned as often as possible. Did there not come like three or four decisions that kind of won against Trump? There was a bunch of bad news for Trump. One was the release of this whistleblower report that the Russian bank, uh, VTB Bank, which is a state-owned bank, so basically it's a bank that President Putin has, you know, has control of. That's the bank that backstopped $2 billion worth of loans that Deutsche Bank gave to Donald Trump after his bankruptcies in the, in the 90s. And, you know, that might be the mechanism by which Russian oligarchs basically own Donald Trump, number one. And then there was, uh, the, uh, oh, geez, I actually, I'm, I think I've got the, I used to have I think there was one about his tax and another one about the, yeah, Ted, the yeah, Ted, uh, management and budget papers. Yeah, Ted Lieu and Kathleen Rice opened an investigation into Donald Trump for manipulating the stock market, buying and selling stocks based on what he was going to tweet about. And then the OMB, oh, and those unredacted emails from the OMB, Rachel Maddow did a big show on this, uh, show that uh, there was an illegal conspiracy to hide the withholding of money from uh, Ukraine. Now, we had mentioned earlier that Trump is reckless and disregards human life. The sophistication, in a sense, of this plot has Putin's fingerprints all over it. 
How I so? don't think he came up with this on his own. Oh, I think, you know, no, the U.S. military had been tracking Soleimani for decades, apparently. And they gave Trump a list of options in response to the Iranian-supported paramilitary in Iraq blowing up a U.S. contractor. So you don't think he's being a Putin puppet at the moment? Oh, I think, I think that, you know, by Donald Trump hurting the image of the United States in the Middle East, and, and frankly around the world, by stupidly strengthening the regime in Iran, which is allied with Russia... I think that everything that he's doing here is working to the benefit of Russia and to the detriment of the United States. I'm just not sure yeah. that he's doing it because Putin's whispering in his ear. There were two opportunities that he had to strike back at Iran. One was after they blew up an oil field in Saudi Arabia, and the other was you know, after they took down an American drone. And those happened within a couple of weeks of each other. And in both cases, Trump didn't respond. And on Fox News, some of the, you know, John Bolton type war hawks were saying this is making him look weak. And so I think that, you know, Fox News goaded him into it, frankly. Okay. Okay. That's, that's another one. Okay. Yeah. Thank you very much. Sure. Tom. Good talking to you, Patrick. Thanks for the call. Appreciate it. And thanks for watching Free Speech TV. Coming back to what's going on in Congress, we were hoping to get a report from uh, Congressman Pocan, and sure enough, he's on the line. Congressman, welcome back. Thanks, Tom. Glad to be here. Great talking with you. So I understand that there is a non-binding resolution that's being voted on in the House today. Then there's two other pieces of actual legislation that could constrain Trump that may or may not be voted on. And then there's something happening over in the Senate that may have to do with all of the above. Can you bring us up to date on exactly what's going on? Yeah, I, I can't speak as directly to the Senate, although I think Tim Kaine is trying to move his resolution, War Powers resolution, through the Senate. But on the House side, today we have what's called a concurrent resolution, which is essentially why it's non-binding, but also it doesn't go to Donald Trump for approval. So it actually would be a vote of Congress that can't be vetoed, as I understand it, which is why uh, that's the vehicle that's being used. Also, language had to be used in a way that it could go to the Senate and be privileged, which means it would take 51 votes as opposed to 60 votes. Hmm. So um, that's the concurrent resolution that I think we're all supporting that's it's going to be on the floor today to essentially say that you know Congress has to reassert its authority. Secondly, there are two other bills that I think could be moving as early as next week, which is Ro Khanna's piece of legislation about no money going to a war with Iran, right. uh, which we had as an amendment for the National Defense Authorization Bill, but got taken out in the final bill. And then Barbara Lee's bill that she's been trying for for years to repeal the 2002 authorization to go into war that happened after 9-11. Yesterday, when we had our classified briefing, this is non-classified information, but the White House essentially said the reason they had authority to assassinate Mr. Soleimani was because of Article 2, which is the powers of the presidency, which meant nothing, and the AUMF from 2002. And their argument is because it happened on Iraqi soil, that's good enough to be used by the loosely uh, worded 2002 uh, authorization to go into war that was dealing with Saddam Hussein, which is clearly crazy, but that's part of the reason why we've been trying to change that. And I, I think we can get some bipartisan support for that because we have previously gotten bipartisan votes on Congress to have a new authorization. So that's the three things that are moving in the House. Today's, essentially, I guess you'd call it, a, it is a part of a War Powers Act, if it's a concurrent resolution, and then the two other pieces of legislation, Rokanas and Barbalese. 
Right. Great. Thank you for that. Are you noticing, I mean, you have Republican colleagues. I don't know how cordial or social you may be with them, but are you finding that Donald Trump's performance, this whole little song and dance, the, you know, the assassination of Soleimani and then the few days subsequent to that has rattled any of your Republican colleagues? You know, sadly, other than, you know, Senator Lee from Utah and I believe it was Senator Paul, um, who were very skeptical of yesterday's classified briefing that they had in the Senate like we had in the House and talked about how awful it was, because I think that is the best way probably to describe it. Uh, We have seen very few people being willing to break from Donald Trump on anything in the House. And in fact, to the point of watching some of the rhetoric, I think it was uh, Representative Rutherford from Florida uh, accused uh, Pramila Jayapal, my co-chair. We had a a Progressive Caucus um, press conference yesterday afternoon after the classified briefing accused her of being an Ayatollah lover, which is just so... Absolutely ridiculous. And then uh, I think Representative Collins from Georgia had something similar that we were mourning Soleimani's death and that, you know, somehow Democrats were, you know, uh, in with the Iranians rather than the United States. Just the, the stupid rhetoric that they still are putting out there that is as basic and simple as Donald Trump is, um, unfortunately, still seems to permeate the Republicans' attitude in the House. Yeah, yeah, it's extraordinary. What's the latest on the articles of impeachment? Well, I think uh, most recently Nancy Pelosi said she's going to send them soon. I think, again, they're still trying to get some assurances to have a fair trial in the Senate. But, you know, I'm really glad she's held them back. I think it's given time to let the American people see exactly what's going on. I know I've said this so many times on your show, Tom, but I think it it's always worth repeating. You know, when I go back to places like my home state of Wisconsin, you know, if, if you were accused of a crime that you weren't guilty of and you had a witness, you would do everything possible to make sure that person could testify to profess your innocence. Right. Just the opposite of Donald Trump. He claims he's got all these people that can profess his innocence, but he can't let anyone go and swear uh, within the law that they're going to tell the truth that can proclaim innocence, which, again, doesn't pass the smell test. And uh, I think you know, we're really, uh, one, trying to drive that message home as Chuck Schumer's trying to get witnesses for the Senate trial. Uh, but two, just in the time that's, that's happened since we've uh, done the impeachment in the House, we've seen the 91 minutes after that perfect call with the Ukraine where uh, the email went out about holding back funds. Right. Uh, we've seen other emails really laying out exactly what happened. So I, I think it's been useful uh, in her holding back, trying to get a fair trial in the Senate, especially when you have Mitch McConnell and Lindsey Graham already admitting that they're going to be impartial, not not impartial uh, jurors. There was a whistleblower leak either late last week or earlier this week suggesting that the reason why Deutsche Bank was the only bank in the Western world that was willing to loan money $2 billion to Donald Trump after his third or fourth bankruptcy was because they were being backstopped by VTB Bank, the Russian bank. It's a state-owned bank. It's sort of, you know, uh, Putin's uh, money pot. Has that been verified? Is that making any waves? I think, you know, you've got six committees essentially that have some jurisdiction overlooking at the various aspects of what Donald Trump's been doing since he's become president. And I know that part of the efforts have been to try to get his tax returns right, which will show us a little more in some of these areas. And then part of it is uh, really trying to connect what he's doing to the emoluments clause and other things. So I think it's very likely that some of this could continue to happen in the coming months by those six committees, um, but nothing explicitly this week. We've really been immersed in what happened with Iran. Yeah, remarkable stuff. Congressman Mark Pocan, thanks so much for dropping by today. Of course, Tom. Thank you. Great talking. Take care. I, I really appreciate the update. 
Albert in St. Louis, Missouri. Hey, Albert, thanks for watching us on Free Speech TV. What's on your mind today? My central point is I think that this is a larger Putin plan. If this recall, being, what's the this that you're talking the, the about? Airliner, the airliner being shot down. Okay. The Ukrainian airliner being shot down. If you recall, you know, they shot, the Russians shot down the uh, Malaysian airliner over Russian airspace. It was over Ukrainian airspace, and it was okay. apparently paramilitaries aligned with Russia, but I get your point. Yeah. Okay. So they were probably, in, in most probability, using the, their anti-aircraft system that they just sold to Iran. Mm-hmm. And, of course, you know, Turkey also has that. Okay. Yep. So I'm thinking that they got a, a backdoor code in there where they can trigger it to knock down certain planes from certain countries like Ukraine, because this will hurt Ukraine not having enough, you know, airspace to fly over. They know they can't fly over Russian airspace, so they have to go around, and they have to go through Turkey, and they have to go through Iran. Now, both Turkey and Iran got this aircraft system, and I think that Putin being there the very day that this plane was shot down, he triggered a backdoor code that's going to shoot down a Ukrainian uh, a plane that you know, because they can tell from the transponder codes where the plane came from and everything, right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I'm saying I think they got a backdoor code in their anti-aircraft system that they that they sell into all these countries that will trigger when they wanted to right. to knock down certain certain planes from certain countries, and I think they this is part of their ongoing war with Ukraine. And, and, you know, yeah, and it may, it may well be. I mean, certainly technology like you're describing exists, Albert. But why would the Iranians who apparently fired the missile, why would they want to embarrass themselves like that? I mean, Iran now looks incompetent to the entire world. I think that's the reason why they said they were not going to send the black box recorders back to Boeing, because they don't want people to know that they shot, you know, an airliner out of the sky after it took off from their own airport. That's humiliating exactly. to Iran. Exactly, exactly. Well, and Iran is Russia's ally. Right. Exactly. I don't think Iran knows that this code is in the system. Yeah. I don't think, I think they were ignorant to this. I think Putin is playing them just like Trump is, Trump is trying to play them a different way to get something for himself. But Putin is looking at a larger strategic plan. I can hear, I can strike a blow at Ukraine. I can also make the Iranians look decrepit and weak, like you say. But so why would he want to do that? On, but I they'll don't. be de- more dependent on Putin uh-huh. to back them up to keep us from trying to attack them. Well, that's, so that, that opens. You know, that's that opens up. Go ahead. Well, no, I was just I was just saying, you know, that logic is the one small bit of logic, or not small bit, but that's that's the one logical point that that I can't knock down, but. You know, and and I get you know probably you know the probably everything is infected with malware everywhere, <laughs> right. people at the highest levels. But um, I'm real willing to believe Albert. This was just a mistake that, that some some guy on the ground who was running an anti-missile system thought, oh my God, look at that, and off it went. Uh, but yeah, we'll but he, he he knew what he was shooting down when he when he got the transponder code. Well, that's, that's he assuming he did. He got a transponder track. code. I mean, some of these shoulder-fired missiles, you just point them at a heat source and boom, off they go. Albert, I got to run, but thanks for the call. It's an interesting theory.
Welcome back. Tom Harmon here with you. One of the, uh, you know, how the media will kind of make up stories or try, you know, put out the Republican spin and, and uh, make that the center of the story. Uh, CNN's doing that right now, talking about how some Democrats and all the Republicans are very upset that Nancy Pelosi is withholding the articles of impeachment, you know, as like, a, how dare she, right? I think she's playing it just right. She's basically saying, here it is. It's real simple. We don't know who to appoint as prosecutors or floor managers is what they call them. Uh, we don't know who to appoint as a prosecutor because we don't know the rules of engagement. We don't know if we need some person who has an encyclopedic memory of all the details or if we need somebody who's a grand performer because the former would be necessary if there will be no witnesses and no testimony. You're going to have to have somebody who's just a total wonk on this stuff who can come out and lead the impeachment. Or alternatively, if we're actually going to have witnesses, then we need somebody who's expert at cross-examining witnesses. See Kamala Harris, for example, you know, and some of her work on the Senate, I believe, Judiciary Committee. So Pelosi is taking, uh, Speaker Pelosi is taking the position, and I think it's an entirely correct and legitimate position, that we're not going to send these impeachment articles to you in the Senate, Mitch McConnell, until you tell us what the rules are under which we'll be operating. And McConnell is saying, well, we're not going to tell you the rules until you send us the, the, the documents. And so there's this, this stalemate right now. And as far as I can tell, the, the media is doing everything they can to increase the pressure on Pelosi. And I don't see any media that's working to increase the pressure on Mitch McConnell, which baffles me. But I saw the exact same thing for almost an entire year when Mitch McConnell refused to allow Merrick Garland to have a hearing in the Senate. The, the press could have brought incredible pressure on him. And of course, President Obama could have too, and neither one of them did. And I said, you know, throughout that entire year, I was like, what's going on here? I mean, can you imagine if the tables were turned and a Democratic, you know, Chuck Schumer was running the Senate and Donald Trump had a nominee for the Supreme Court. Somebody dropped dead on the Supreme Court a year before the election. And Trump said, OK, here's my nominee. And Chuck Schumer said, no, I'm not going to do that for another year. I'm not even going to talk about it. I mean, the stuff that Mitch McConnell gets away with is mind boggling. And now we find out, you know, Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski, we thought that they were going to be independent. We thought that they were going to say, at the very least, you know, hey, we would like to see some witnesses. Well, guess what? Mitch McConnell, the, the key to Mitch McConnell's power is money. I mean, his, the key to his personal power is money. He, he married a woman who is a multimillionaire and the heiress of a Taiwanese shipping company who happens to be in Trump's cabinet. And, you know, Elaine Chao, and that's his wife. So that made him rich through marriage. But he's also got these packs that he controls. Uh, there's a leadership pack. There's a couple of packs that Mitch McConnell controls where billionaires and big corporations pour money into McConnell's packs, and then he pours that money into the campaigns of Republicans who he likes. Or he could even pour it into the campaigns of people opposing Republicans who he, you know, Republicans that he dislikes who are in the Senate right now. Or he could be pouring it into primary campaigns. So McConnell is basically flexing his economic muscles, and they are considerable. You know, we may joke about Mitch, Mc, Mitch McTurtle, very thoughtful, careful man. No, he's not. You know, this guy is a street fighter. 
and he is using power as a, as a blunt instrument here. And I'm just blown away that the media is making it like this is Nancy Pelosi's crisis. When Mitch McConnell has come right out and said, he's going to rig this thing. It's not going to be a real trial. There's not going to be witnesses and evidence presented. It's going to be a, it's going to be a kangaroo court. It's going to be a sham. He's come right out and said that. Not, not exactly those words, but I don't think anybody, even a Republican, would say that what I'm saying is an exaggeration. And others have, have said, yeah, you know, we're on board for that, other Republican senators. So I'm, I'm with Speaker Pelosi. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. Stand firm, Madam Speaker. We'll be right back. What, what do you think? Should she be passing the articles over or should she be standing up to Mitch McConnell? Our book club book today is Last Boat Out of Shanghai by Helen Zia, the subtitle, The Epic Story of the Chinese Who Fled Mao's Revolution. This is from the prologue, Shanghai, May 4th, 1949. Bing sat up straight in the pedicab, gripping the hard seat as the driver cursed and spat. She watched with alarm as his feet, clad in sandals cut from old tires, seemed to slow to a snail's pace just when she most needed speed. But unlike those who were still clamoring for a seat to anywhere, Bing was one of the lucky ones. She possessed a precious one-way ticket out on a ship to America. The ship's smokestacks came into view just past the stately Astor House Hotel and the towering 19-story Broadway Mansion's apartments, where the Xinjiang Creek meets the bend of the Waihangpu River, the last major tributary of the mighty Yangtze River before it joins the East China Sea. Massive granite buildings, all in European style, lined the signature waterfront boulevard and docks. To the foreigners, this prime section of waterfront was known as the Bund, from a Hindustani word meaning embankment. The Chinese called it Waitan, meaning outside or foreign shore, a reference to the foreigners who once ruled this proud imperialist showcase of Shanghai. Panic and terror had first infected the wealthiest, most educated, and most privileged classes, and sent them running in what they fully expected to be a brief exile. It was assumed that the communists would target the rich and the pampered in the same way that the Bolsheviks had gone after the czarist white Russians, many of whom had come to Shanghai as refugees from that 1917 revolution. No one knows precisely how many people fled Shanghai during the early years of the communist revolution. Scholars and journalists have estimated that more than a million people set off from or through that port city. Many of those who ran for the exits belonged to the city's capitalist and middle classes, who presumably had the most to lose under the communists. These two groups comprised about 5% and 20%, respectively, of the city's 6 million residents, or about 1.5 million people. On the other hand, the remaining 4.5 million who made up Shanghai's majority saw no need to escape. They included Shanghai's industrial workers, coolies, drivers, the destitute. But it was not only members of the upper classes who fled. They were joined by old regime loyalists, from high nationalist government officials to lowly foot soldiers, as well as those who simply got caught up in the frenzy or were especially fearful. Unfortunately, there are no records of the exodus since the retreating nationalists destroyed as many documents as they could, while the incoming communists inherited a country in such disarray that no accounting to the departures is known to have taken place. Last Boat Out of Shanghai by Helen Zia. Judy in Hellsburg, California. Hey, Judy, what's on your mind today? Good morning, Tom. Well, I don't have anything that's too happy to say on my end. I'm seeing parallels with our government with Nazi Germany at this point. 
and it's really, really frightening. And it's all happening before our very eyes. Trump is wanting to build another concentration camp in California right now, and this is a, a concentration camp for immigrant children. And you've got American legislators in California saying, no, we don't want this stuff. We don't want internment camps here. Exactly, but it looks like it, everything continues to happen. Yeah. And we're at a terrible stalemate, and it's, it's um, at this point I say understanding is the booby prize. Yeah. We do understand, but how do we stop it? And the real perpetrators at this point, it's horrible to say that the Republicans are creating this, yeah. that I'm, I, they I, don't, they don't, they're getting behind Donald Trump. It's beyond belief, Tom. I can't believe what's happening in our country. We have been cultified, Judy. You've got a group of billionaires who own media networks and in individual media outlets like Fox News, for example, with Mr. Murdoch, who have decided that you know their interest, their tax cuts, their deregulation is more important than anything else that goes on. And so they're, they're just giving Trump uncritical coverage on the one hand or, or lavishing him with praise on the other. And it has created a nation of right-wing zombies. It's like cult followers. It's like Jim Jones all over again. Uh, we've had a couple of them call into the program and it's just so conspicuous. It's, it's a real American tragedy. Thanks so much for being with us today. We'll be back same time, same place. And in the meantime, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. Get out there, get active, tag your end, and tell your friends about progressive media. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. Tom Hartman Cruise will be sailing in July of 2020. The seven-day Oceana Cruise will be going to Bermuda, and I'll be hosting onboard events about the topics of the day. More info at TomHartman.com or 800-856-1155.